Welcome, everyone. I'm Sandra Bargeman. A few years ago, I wrote and performed a solo show called The Edge of Every Day, which was an exploration of the rough edges and contradictions we all face and grapple with. The show hit a nerve, and the relevance of the topic would only grow over time more than I could have foreseen. So, here we are. Real talk with real people, sharing stories and perspectives that spark provocative invitations to leap out of what's safe. On the edge of every day. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. We are live in the hive. Thank you for joining me on this, the 27th episode of The Edge of Every Day here on talkradio.nyc. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, and for those of you who don't know me yet, I encourage you to check out my bio on talkradio.nyc, or of course, you can visit my website, sandrabargeman.com. And please, tune in to any of my previous episodes with my inspiring guests. In a nutshell, this show is about celebrating triumphs, pushing boundaries, and exploring rough edges. Through conversations and shared stories with friends and colleagues, it's my hope that we can begin to understand our edges. And what I mean by edges is those places where we are fearful, those places where we're resistant to change, those places where paradoxes and contradictions live in our beliefs and our understandings, both about ourselves and about the world around us. Those places we don't want to look. We live in turbulent times, and we are coming to understand that life simply isn't black or white. It must be an embrace of both. And the more we recognize our own edges and get real about them, the more we can help others to do the same. And that, I fully believe, can help to change the world. So, thanks for tuning in. And without further ado, it is time to introduce our guest this evening. Rick Prashaw is a Canadian author, an in-demand keynote speaker, and a storyteller. He's had a diverse career as a journalist, a Roman Catholic priest, an executive director of a national NGO in healing justice, the Church Council on Justice and Corrections in Canada, and political staff to three members of the Canadian Parliament. He is a winner of the National Ron Wiebe Restorative Justice Award. Prashaw received a Bachelor of Journalism with honors at Carleton University in Ottawa and a Master's of Divinity at the University of Western Ontario. He also studied at San Anselmo College in Rome. His son, Adam, inspired him to be an advocate for transgendered human rights and organ donorship. His first memoir, Soar Adam Soar, is based on the life of his remarkable son, who tragically passed away in 2016. His latest and second book, Father Rick, Roman Catholic, a faith memoir, was published by Friesen Press in February 2022. Hello and welcome, Rick. Hi, Sandra. It's so good uh, to be here with you. It is so good to be here with you. I am 
truly, truly honored to have you on this show. Um, those of you listening in in our pre-talk just now, I got a little teary-eyed, and I said, "Uh-oh, let's get the uh, let's get the the the." The tissue's ready. It's been a while since I have been so moved by a book and by someone's personal story. So here's the book. We're just going to dive right in, out of the gate. Here's the book. Can we see it? Roman, I hate these things. I hate my, there it is. Roman Catholic. Roman Catholic, spelled R-O-A-M-I-N, not, not your regular Roman Catholic. How did you come up with that title, Rick? You know, um, Sandra, I forget. (laughs) Good answer. The likely aha moment, like all great, brilliant moments in my life, probably was a dog walk. Uh, Inevitably, it's a dog walk with my Dallas, who's listening in here at my feet. And um, all the great things in my life come when I just sort of forget everything else, love Dallas, go for a walk. And probably that's when it jumped into my head and I smiled because it so was Spot me. On. And it was so the book. Yeah, totally. Well, my my former Catholic husband really appreciated it. <laughs> um, I have to read something for everyone. It's from the preface and it just really sums this book, book up um, perfectly. But why tell the story at all? On the surface, it is intriguing. Father Rick, a Catholic priest. Marriage, a new vocation as father to Adam. A cruel tragedy and a permanent grief that has discovered a surprising life-saving gratitude in the choices I could still make. Dig deeper, and in the convoluted chapters of my life, there is a story that endured a faith in my God, the gods, in the divine energies, and significantly, a faith in myself. And I can't think of a better way of describing one's life and personal faith journey. It so was, um, it was um, always a struggle, the entire life, <laughs> adult life, Um, especially after the calling, the dramatic calling that I experienced to be a priest. How could I be faithful to this God who seemed to want me (laughs) in service and how I could be faithful to Rick? Because I did not see that contradiction. I thought that the more I could be one, uh, I could be the other. But that, as many stories reveal, was the constant uh, conundrum. I totally get that. And as a minister myself, I an interfaith minister and, and, and experiencing the call to service to step out more into that role, but, but to still have a sense of one's life and what that means. I really can relate to it. That's, of course, so much of why I think I really related to your story is that it's so, and for those of you who are listening, you're going to hear way more about it, but his writing style is what is so kick-ass. Um, just turn on a dime, fun, witty, smart, poignant. It spirals. It's not linear. It's it's really breathtaking. Okay, so you can tell I love the story, um, the book. So it's many, many stories, all one story, though. So let's dive in. Um, you say that storytelling, obviously, is at the heart of all that you do. And I don't know where I read this in my research, but 
you said somebody asked you about becoming an author and you started out with a story about being a uh, uh, paper boy. Yes. I, lo- I was a paper boy too. Actually, I was Ooh. a paper girl. But <laughs> yes, at 14. So well, that story that. is funny because it's, it's so true. Um, I'd sit on the bundle of my North Bay Nuggets and I would read the paper front to back. And that all the people Amazing. who are my customers would be driving by, wanting their paper, and seeing this curly-haired, red-haired, freckled-faced kid devouring the paper. And uh, <laughs> I put a poker face on it. One guy, John Doyle, who I said, John, I need to know what I'm selling here. So it's important that I read first. And he just he just shook his head. <laughs> <laughs> so that led you, that was the spark. I mean, or which came first, the chicken or the egg? But, you know, that uh, news and storytelling and what the life events that led you into journalism. Yes? I love stories. I, I love hearing them. And then I started to uh, discover the joy of telling them and the audience that one could have and, and how you could change a story. Uh, later on, I was going to meet uh, this Father John Shea in Chicago at this mm. liturgical conference. And he always said, don't tell the Jesus story straight, retell them and make them your story. And and it's the same thing. It's the same thing which you're saying there, you know, that, um, you know, you, you put yourself uh, into the story. You don't have to remember it. And the beauty that everybody tells the story just a little bit different and puts himself into it. Absolutely. So you did ultimately go into journalism. Tell us about you. You 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 called yourself um, your childhood childhood a Catholic cuckoo's nest, <laughs> which I love. I love because I can only imagine, you know, it's just I've heard the stories my husband has told. I just love that. So uh, please tell us about that. So many um, of your listeners either know this story personally or through their parents or ancestors. And um, I had to catch myself in the writing because I would tell these insane stories of, you know, the nine first Fridays just would get you into heaven, fasting, fasting. Uh, prayers, uh, holy water, processions when I was mortified as an altar boy, walking through the neighborhood and seeing my Protestant friends, you know, follow me on their bicycles. And I just wanted to die on the spot. But once all of that was told, I realized that I don't want people to think that I'm mocking that because I wasn't mocking it. Uh, It was normal. It was natural. It was it was the time. And that's why I think a lot of your your uh, viewers will will get that, you know, they'll yes. get that and remember it. So uh, I went back and I, I I just remembered it as the best school of my life, you know, mm. with especially my father and my mother is sort of the, the lead characters and producers, you know, of the show. But uh, it was so Catholic. Uh, it was just such a traditional type of life. And yet it was normal. We were insane. We were crazy. As many stories I tell from that uh, cuckoo's nest uh, back in the 60s. Uh, some of your viewers would remember earlier and even later with some of the reforms that happened with the Second Vatican Council. Yeah, very different time, very open time. And with music and, you know, the the events of that time were calling people forward in very different ways, very exciting ways. Um. So, so tell me, you know, in choosing to get into to to, to answering the call, um, 
Did Was your connection to God and spirit and your Catholic faith, was there an element of, even as a child, sort of feeling a call, a knowingness of a calling, or were you just attracted potentially, and not just, in addition, attracted to the rituals and the storytelling of and the iconography in the way that I was as a young person um, in the Christian faith that I was raised in. I was really into all of that stuff. Well, listen, um, I tell the story that I got strapped twice in uh, grade two by a nun, a wayward sister. I, I redeemed the sisters with many good stories in my book. But she strapped me twice for not knowing why God made me. And uh, I guess she thought that if she hit me on the hand once that I would suddenly remember, but I didn't remember. No, I was more into girls' curls, and uh, uh, I loved the heavenly nave upon the the ceilings and the angels and the swords. And so, you know, as a young boy, that's all fantastic. But I was one of those rare people, according to friends and what I see then and now, at 12 years old, sitting on that bundle of newspapers, I knew I was going to be a journalist. I skipped yeah. career days. I, 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 had a, I had no no idea, no interest in, in the priesthood. I was going to church and it was part of my faith. Now, in terms of a calling that takes place and uh, dramatically uh, intervenes, and God, I guess, had run out of patience with me and finally <laughs> decided to be a, a bit of a Saul on the road to Damascus story. I don't, I don't think I was murdering anybody, but I was having a very good 1970s rock and roll, long hair, <laughs> music, and smoking some interesting substances. Excellent. And, and, and here we are in the 70s, and I get this dramatic call. Okay, no, this story has to wait. We've got to go to break. I'm like, D- not one more word. This is going to keep everyone on their seat to hear all about your your big moment. All right. Stay tuned, everyone. When we come back, we're going to hear Rick's big call the big moment, the smashing moment to call to ministry when we come back on the edge of every day. Stay tuned. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. you on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. 
You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. with Father Rick Prashaw. So now we have to hear this incredible story, the call to ministry. Well, Do we want to back up just a tiny bit and redo that since I had to interrupt you? <laughs> sure. Uh, do you yeah, want me to do, well, no, no, I'm just kidding. It was you were leaning, leading up to it so brilliantly and I had to interrupt you oh, for a no, commercial no. break. No, no problem. Uh, <laughs> I had an usher once at the back of the church. I was going on so long, he started waving his watch. And then when I still didn't stop, he took a calendar that they were selling at the end of the year and started flipping the months, you know, just to get me to to shut up. (laughs) I'll do a little drum roll. (laughs) So I'm a journalist, happy, uh, thinking this is my lifelong career. And one day I tell just a little white lie to my editor, uh, who, um, uh, great man, Bruce Smiley. And I said, you know, Bruce, uh, I'm not feeling that well. And I think I'm going to take tomorrow off. Well, of course, the real reason that I wanted to take the next day off was a, a cousin was going down to a mutual cousin of ours who happened to be a Catholic priest in uh, the Seattle diocese. And um, my first cousin, Tony, was just getting some wedding advice. And so I just um, went along for the ride for the great day and told this white lie that I wasn't feeling well. Well, God used that meeting with that priest and my cousin in the rectory to zap me. Uh, I was actually going to leave and just go for a walk. And Father Barry, the other cousin, puts me in the corner, pours me a scotch and says, listen, you might be able to use this someday when uh, you're going to get married. So. But God had other plans, and in the course, as I describe it, and I don't do it justice with words, because it really is something that stayed with me all my life, no matter what was to happen afterwards, no matter the curves that were to come, I was so convinced of that authentic calling. And God just revealed to me, um, I don't know, voice, just mood, energy, vibes, that uh, this is who you are, Rick. This is why you live doing what this priest is doing in this room. And I did what every red-blooded Canadian boy would do. I I ran the opposite direction for about three months. I was in complete denial, continued the drinking and the parties and the fun. But it just, can, that moment, that blast in that rectory, in, in like one, one conversation, that dramatically uh, changed my life. And I, I went back to it. And then go back to your earlier questions. Then those things from childhood and growing up and the Catholicity of my life, it all mm-hmm. fit them. The saints, yeah. uh, the prayers, you know, it all sort of uh, propped up uh, this uh, dramatic calling. Interesting. So, so, so you move, how do you move into that? Do you, do you take your three, you take your three months and you settle into this understanding of service and you, and you, of course, you, you know that you want to become a Catholic priest. Have you by that time started to um, 
consider or or explore other spiritual traditions in in were you curious about other as well that came later for you that came later except uh, in the seminary it was one of the most interesting courses i took i love the bible i love the old testament the judeo uh, traditions i loved uh, the world religions class I, I just ate that up so there was a sense that even then what was really going to emerge later was this ecumenical rick this interfaith rick this rick that wants to exchange pulpits that some catholics were cool with and some catholics were not (laughs) Not. cool with at all to this day (laughs) (laughs) to this day and um, just a sense of this big god that was starting to emerge but but uh, in the seminary it was pretty much catholic uh world and i was beginning to figure wonder about the celibacy and how I was going to live it and uh, the huge struggle in the seminary and it it was to emerge later uh, was um, giving up the thought of being a dad uh, not being a father you know even before the notion of romance and love that all goes with that was this idea of being a dad not being father to all and father to none but how can I work this out in my life? And I, I often would use humor. I just said, okay, God, you want me here. You better just take care of all of this. Because I, you know, I just didn't have it all figured out how that was going to play out. Well, and the trust in the life is, is just beautiful. And I, I can't wait f- for us to get into that portion. But before we do, I did want to ask you about because it's so in alignment with um, the edge of every day, and we talked about this the other day, the um, mandorla and the understanding about shadow that you encountered um, in in your work. I believe it was at the Correctional Institute. Yeah, this was uh, after I left uh, for love uh, to marry. And oh, I, I thought it was be, still, it was still, yeah, okay. It, 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 was, it, it would be in my NGO days where I discovered this concept. Uh, mandorla is this Italian word for sliver, the almond sliver. And it's when two worlds, the red and the blue states, the victims and the offenders, the yes and them. The male the and the female, the light the and the dark. And the female, the Christian the and the of other. every day. And that little sliver where you could stand and find some overlap. Oh, yeah, we all get up the same in the morning. We all head to the bathroom. We, we, if we're fortunate, we, we get a cup of coffee on. We worry about our loved ones. We go out and mm-hmm. uh, if we have a job. And, and yet, not long after, those worlds call us and pull us apart and polarize us. And yet, so the mandorla, I did a lot of work with some people down in Nova Scotia in Canada. And uh, there were some African uh, Can- uh, Canadians that were actually 200 years in the country and uh, were of the Baptist uh, tradition. And uh, it was just interesting to get Catholics and Baptists together, white and blacks, and they were dealing with the racism in the high schools and they seem to be at opposite ends but they we found that mandorla that said you know seniors caring about uh their grandchildren fears for Mm -hmm. their grandchildren and they started talking and uh, they broke out of that you know sort of racial world yes the dualism and the polarization well well and it's an image it's two circles it's like a venn diagram but only two circles and it's again to the edge of every day and the understanding of bringing the two we we as human beings must find this sliver 
that sliver over and over and over. We're called to find that sliver. And so, well, let's circle back now. Um, Thank you for that. Let's circle back to um, your ministry and the moment um, where things started to shift, where you started to choose another spiritual or add on another spiritual path, the path of you know, I always tell the story with my former students from seminary, my, my number one spiritual path, other than all the other things that I look into, is my marriage. Right, right. The, the well, polishing um, that happens with that. The so. whole second part of the book uh, is just crammed full of stories, um, priest stories, serious stories, fun stories, crazy stories, social justice stories, helping at arms distance, the smuggling of two El Salvadorian boys that were completely lost to get them home to mama. Mm-hmm. Uh, the boat people, the whole Vietnamese 80s story of, of, of becoming a parish, of many parishes of different faiths did. Um, uh, just the, the everyday social justice stuff, the, the, the notions that um, I didn't want to fight wars in, in faith. And so, you know, people wanted to say who's worthy <laughs> when nobody's worthy to receive, you know, Jesus in the in the in the in the host um i love the line of communion that everybody fell into it male female or or none of the above and you know old and young and rich and poor and well-dressed in church sunday go to church finery and jeans and i just love that image that every one of us so even at the beginning i was reluctant to play defender of the faith i figured god can take care of this god's big i'm not going to be his lawyer you, know? but you were at the heart of it. You were at the heart of what it is for everyone. That, that's right. So not everyone applauded, but anyway, it was good. It was good, and it was a it, it was a, a good time in my life and a wonderful time. And I guess I had some arrogance because priests would leave, and I would say, mm, "Not me." Um, <laughs> you know, I, I would never judge them, but I would say, "I don't see that happening ever." So this um, whole love with this woman Suzanne, it just slowly creeps up at the end of the second part of my of my story and uh with just this discovery this awakening not only of the obvious physical and the flesh but the um the 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 seed again started to come with the notion that i could be a dad i could be father rick and i could be father uh, as as rick and and for me um, as it's happened to not all but enough celibate priests who have just found that, you know, they wanted this, this mix of these, these two callings. And so uh, I very much talk of two callings in my life, the calling to be Father Rick and uh, the calling to be Father to Adam. Just so beautiful. Well, so when you had to step, when the calling came and you had to, to extricate yourself from the church, how was that? Oh dear! <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry to tell you, we have two minutes till break, so we can. Yeah, that we'll, didn't we'll dive uh, into Adam. That didn't afterwards. go well. That didn't go too well, <laughs> and and that's probably one imagine. of the more interesting uh, chapters uh, in the book. It didn't go well with my family when I broke the news to them because I didn't understand that I was their father. Rip. It was so embedded. It was not only your identity theirs. You know. You know. So nobody except my dear mother, who probably felt the greatest pain over the news that her pre-son was leaving. She was the one that with her stoic Cape Breton Scottish ancestry just was the first person 
in my family to ask to see a picture of Suzanne. And that was just this beautiful godlike moment for me, you know, that, mm-hmm. that of acceptance uh, with all of her suffering that was going to come when she was going to hear it from the Ladies Guild and all the other judgments and the story. So it was hard. I talk about a retreat and 40 nights, uh, uh, dark nights of the soul, uh, and yet a freedom came, uh, extricating myself to know that if I can be Rick, somehow I have to figure out how I can still minister, how I can still believe, how can I still fit this in? And that's weird going back to the Catholic part of the story is people said, well, become an Anglican priest, become a United Church minister. You know, you can have both. And yet the Catholic <laughs> DNA was, was just too, too rich. So there that I didn't see the bottom line was, OK, let's be a minister or priest in another tradition. Uh, I knew my calling was to be uh, husband to Suzanne and hopefully a family and uh We'll see where that goes, and that would be part three that right. comes in the in the book. And a perfect seg. Well, and as you well know, you once you say yes to service, it doesn't matter what package it's in. So when we come back with Father Rick, we're going to hear about his life as a father. Stay tuned on the edge of every day. Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Chipping around, kick my brain to the ground. These are the days it never And we are back with author, Father Rick Prashaw, Roman Catholic. And now we get to the point of your story where you are father to Adam. So start the story for us. Sure. Um, I am instantly after the marriage, a stepdad to three 
older kids of Suzanne. And within a year, she breaks the glorious news that we're expecting uh, a child. And uh, she being a bit wiser in this, I had baptized about 10,000 kids, but I was clueless <laughs> about being a parent and a dad. Uh, willing, eager, but clueless. So what happens is uh, she says, it's a boy. And this is early in the pregnancy. And I go, oh, uh, ultrasound? She goes, no, I just know. Uh, it's very much David's pregnancy. It's not Lauren and Lindsay. I said, okay. So the April 22nd, 1993, out comes this uh, child that the intern catches the kid. I should have known that this was the prelude for the entire life in a fast lane for this kid. Says, you are the parents of a beautiful baby girl. And mom bolts up on the delivery room looking for where a kid that we had started in the womb to call Adam. Um, and where's Adam? Like, no, no. And so it began. And we, we, we smart parents, a smarter mom than smarter dad, uh, names the kid Rebecca Danielle Adam Prashaw. And, of course, uh, it would take uh, a long time into the teen years. But this tomboy, this scout in To Kill a Mockingbird, a paper moon, <laughs> the, the pitcher, Tatum O'Neill, this is my kid, you know, in spades, no dresses, nothing like that. No dolls, nada. No, no, no. And so um, it will take a long journey that we tell mostly in Sore Adam's Sore uh, about uh, this gender journey home to the boy in the mirror that he could not see, but he knew, and we knew uh, he was. And I just, uh, Sandra, fastened myself like the seatbelt, the roller coaster of my life. Uh, I grew up with my dad, who uh, was a bit of a comic and a clown, much like the son that uh, my son that they didn't meet in this this life. Uh, he um, uh, he just um, celebrated diversity as long as uh, as long as anybody would accept his teasing, which was 24-7. He didn't care who you looked like, who you loved, uh, mm. what color of your skin. So I learned some things I didn't appreciate at the time. And so I didn't have any problem with this announcement. My fe- my thing was fear. I just mm. feared for my, I knew the world out there. I knew the hate. I knew the discrimination. And also, we was battling epilepsy. So there was a lot on his plate. But he just wanted that life as a boy, to be the Adam that he knew he was. And so that's the 22 glorious years, parenting, the sickness, always going back to a sunny place in his life. In that first book, Sore Adam Sore, he's the co-author posthumously um, because I put in all the margins of the of the book uh, his crazy Facebook posts and his social media. And then sometimes in the transgender journey, when he got into the testosterone and uh, as we approached surgery that we never got to because of the, the tragedy that happened, um, he tells the story way better than dad. So I just let him take over. He just took over and he tells that, he tells that story. Unbelievable. Well, and apparently um, you told you on the pillow to use his words. Well, yes. Uh, and that, again, is a story after he died. And that's part of my faith that, that uh, you know, like uh, we can talk about that grief and it's how paralyzing. And I felt like I was in the water with him. Uh, he 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 always had uh, epilepsy, but only in the last five years he had major seizures and they were life threatening seizures. And we had a second surgery. He went for it. He said, Dad, of course, I'm going to go for it. It's a no brainer, Dad. 
I said, well, actually, son, it is a brain that they're going to okay, offer. Exactly. Just to be brain. clear, this surgery was for the epilepsy on the brain. For That's the right. That's yeah. right. And, and he went twice for it. And uh, it was uh, reduced, the severity, the frequency. But it never we never got the miracle that we wanted. And the second one, just months before the drowning, um, we got a blue light. He had a second surgery. Everything was good. There was no traces of it. So everything was good. He was in a hot tub with his friends one day. And they went down to retrieve some things in the apartment and they found him underwater when he came back and that uh, picture i don't know if the viewers can see we can see it is a picture he snaps on instagram probably a minute uh, before the drowning when he's in his happy place his shirt is off um he's telling the world who he is he says i am adam and his last words his last hashtag is transgender and it was just a crappy crappy picture that i said there's no way we're going to get this this uh, uh, on there but that was one of the miracles that happened and then back to your question about the facebook post is that i was going to paraphrase him and i so he he texts me down the top of his head sometimes it, that's just the way he is he he just texts me and it's so adam I just so know it's him, even though he's passed. And he says, Dad, use my words, not your words. <laughs> and, and I went, okay. So I had to think about how I was going to do that with a Facebook post. Oh, my. You know, one of the one of the great joys of doing a podcast is, is deepening into someone's story, but trying to fit it all in an hour is very hard. <laughs> and to... So Adam does, uh, uh, they keep him alive, support he does not survive. And let's move into, um, I, I do want to hear about your grief and writing the book, but I also want to hear about organ donorship. Sure, sure. Our listeners to hear those stories. So on the organ donor side, uh, again, um, he at 16 in a 10 second conversation with his mother uh, opens up. He's so keen to drive. He's having sort of a break from the seizures so he can drive. And he says, what's this organ donor thing? And mom says, well, if anything bad happened to you and you weren't to live in an accident, you could save other people. Well, of course I'd do that. And that was it. That was all he said about it. And by that moment, we knew what his wishes were. So when we couldn't get the miracle that we desperately prayed for and wanted, there was the other miracle in the room as a registered organ donor whose wishes we knew. He saved four lives. He saved uh, a heart uh, patient uh, that was in critical uh, condition and uh, two kidneys and his liver saved. And in the uh, serendipity of Adam's life, as only Adam would choreograph, um, there are rules in Ontario and Canada. Most times people do not know who receive your loved one's organ, but the heart recipient, uh, and it was so beautiful that it was a heart recipient, and it was so perfect that it was a man, uh, was the other three were women because of his gender journey. Yes. And uh, this clever man sleuths us, meets us, we're great friends. He decides to seize on his lifelong dream to be an actor, and he becomes the narrator for my audio book of Soar, Adam Soar. So when I when I go to libraries and I pitch my story in a little bit of a loud voice because of my hearing impaired challenges, I was in the Ottawa Valley um, recently and I'm telling people to, you know, just the elevator pitch, you know, and it's 30 seconds, Catholic priest marries, father of a transgender son, tragedy, through the tragedy, death, organ donor, uh, heart recipient. The other librarian who wasn't really paying attention looks up and says, uh, is this fiction? 
you know, <laughs> like, and, 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 and yes. I laugh, I, I did that, life. I laughed, I said, I only wish, I only wish oh, it, yeah. it was fiction, I said, you can't make it up, I said, it's my story, it's my life, you know, Just so the, the grieving, um, I wrote that in the depth of my grief, and it's a miracle, really, it's a, uh, Adam really supported me, you know, um, I, I went through some moments of just wanting to give up and let him, you know, let, let go. Um, uh, my dad, I had to remember his gospel about choosing life, about being not afraid. He loved the St. Louis Jesuits hymn. He would always sing, they'd be not afraid of the St. Louis Jesuits. And uh, mm-hmm. um, I had a dream one night where I was in the water. It was like a ship disaster after Adam drowned. And the water was a perfect metaphor. And Adam sw- swims over and I'm holding under this plank and he takes the plank and he whacks me over the head. Mm-hmm. And he says, live, dad, live. And uh, I woke up from that dream and I my head really hurt like really really hurt so I knew there was something real about that and so that was the only moment that I thought I was just going to give up but I wrote the book I told the stories I found life in that I have found life in the gratitude of uh, organ donor work of transgender human rights work I'm in places that <laughs> you, you said at the beginning the the conundrum and the uh the paradoxes like you know I'm there and, and you know um uh, and uh, Jean-Paul Sartre has this uh, glorious thing, a uh, phrase uh, in one of his work writings about freedom is what we do with what is done to us. You know, we don't get to choose enough times. I wish more that we get to choose what happens to us, but we have a freedom on what we do with what is done to us. And that, I just hung on to that. I just hung on to that, that I had choices now as the father of Adam, that that was going to be forever the father of Adam. How could I continue this dad relationship with him? How could I continue this relationship with a God who had as many questions as answers for and who, you know, so much of it was mystery uh, without me understanding and knowing everything that I just uh, did not want bitterness. I did not want cynicism. I did not. That was not me. It just wasn't me. It wasn't I wasn't, you know, like my father. It's just choices that he made in his life that he could have been bitter. Uh, the dirty 30s, depression, Second World War. He was in an orphanage for six years. He had all kinds of reasons, as I found out later in life. And I tell in the book uh, to have a chip on his shoulder. And he didn't have one. And my son, Adam, didn't have one. And I made choices about not having one myself. Absolutely glorious. I I know I also heard, we've got to go to break, but I also heard that um, in something that I I read about you or listened to, that you have, what's up next potentially is a a story about your parents. Yes, yes. Uh, Can I say that now or... Yeah, we just we and we can continue when we come back. You know what? Let's just cut it short. You know what, Sam? We're going to cut it short. We're going to go to break a, a couple minutes early, and when we come back, we will talk with Father Rick about what's up next for him, and we can find out where we can get this book and how you can further follow his work when we come back on the Edge of Every Day. <laughs> Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector, coming at you from my attic. 
Each week here on TalkRadio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on TalkRadio.nyc. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Pet lovers. Pet Avengers Assemble! On the Professionals and Animal Lovers show, we believe the bond between animal lovers is incredibly strong. It mirrors that bond between pets and their owners. Through this program, we come together to learn, educate, and advocate. Join us live every Wednesday at 2 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Chipping around, kick my brain to the ground. These are the days it never And we are back with author Rick Prashaw, and we'll pick it up with um, what's next for you writing. You were, uh, I had overheard that you have some ideas for a few books, and one of them being a few more books, now that you are such a a well-received and glorious writer. um, Tell um, us about your your book about your parents. Well, the first one I'm probably going to do down and dirty one called Father Joel would be a fictional work, my first fictional work, uh, with just this priest with a deep, dark secret. He and God have fallen on hard times. And uh, in terms of his belief, and uh, uh, it's quite a comic uh, flight from God, uh, quote unquote, uh, that Father Joel takes uh, in this book. But the fourth book that I better get to, uh, or else my parents will not be happy, was probably going to be my first book, but everything else happened in my life to uh, delay it, is that my father and my mother have an uh, amazing World War II love story to tell. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell that story, but it's going to be creative nonfiction because typical of enough veterans, my dad was just closed lip about, you know, ever really telling many stories about it. So I'm going to time travel. I'm going to be a character in the book. And that's about all I'll say. I'm going to go back and be in his platoon. And I'm finally going to get from my father all those stories. That's fantastic. So did you, uh, so being an author, was that when you were a journalist, is that ever something that you thought about doing back in the day when you were really writing? Well, maybe you were also writing your sermons and things. Did you, uh, obviously, did you ever consider yourself becoming an author in all of this? I mean, I know you considered yourself a storyteller, but it's right. a whole nother ball game to, I, to, I to just, find your writing style. I, I have a couple of books with my name on it for the NGO days, but they're, they're, they're with co-authors and they were really around 
uh, restorative justice, healing justice, but again, always telling stories. And whether it was in politics or uh, NGO or journalism or priesthood, it was the storytelling. I can't honestly say that I had this conscious saying that I'm going to write a book, but I do know that when I finally retired and I had some bills to pay and I knew I had stories, that it just so became clear to me that I wanted to write books. I wanted to write for myself. Yeah, and for Adam. Yeah, and, and for Adam. Incre- and that cr- incredible journey that you're still on. Well, I, la- I laugh by myself. I laugh at myself a lot, actually. But but I laugh <laughs> at myself, Sandra, when you keep on calling me Father Rich. And I know you're referring. No, I'm so loving that. I, I know that you're referring to the book. And it's like, pardon me, it must be the old Catholic in me. I want to correct you and say, no, 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 no. I'm not Father Rick. I'm Rick now, who's a, who's a father. But of course, I am Father Rick. I am Father Rick. And this is the, uh, you talked about the, uh, you didn't use the word circle, but used another really good word. Uh, and it, the, that's the indigenous spiral. Teaching, spiral. The yeah. teaching and your edge work, this constant spiral that I went back. I'm the guy that can't remember why I go to the kitchen now, but I'm so back as a priest, as Father Rick. It's like yesterday, today. I carry it. I carry all the stories, the graces, the love, the mercy, the forgiveness. Uh, people said, your details. How did you remember the details? And I said, Oh, that's good. And sometimes it was a Facebook question I put to somebody, but no, I, I knew it all. I knew every detail uh, of every story, you know, and and so uh, I just laugh at myself that I want to correct you that I'm not Father Rick anymore, <laughs> but I am Father Rick. I know. Well, y- y- as you have gathered, I'm, I rest assured my 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 love for irreverence is big, so, which is why one of the many things I love about you. Um, so how has, I can imagine that the book tour opening up post COVID and, and really the embrace of both of these books has really served you in your grieving process and also the, your next steps. Tell us about how yeah. that's been for you. Um, I'm just uh, fresh at my 50s, fresh from three live events. And it was just like glorious to actually be in a room. Uh, Many people begged off with last minute positive testing or other life stuff. But to have 40, 45 in the room three Mm -hmm. times and I feed off people, you know, you know, my personality is the extrovert. So I feed off people. It was the questions in the first book tour. Everybody wanted to know, okay, you were a priest and now a father to transgender son. And so how are you with this God thing and with church? So I knew very much what my next book was going to be. And now I feel really comfortable to head off into the the uh, fiction world. But of course, obviously, it'll still be fed by any nonfiction. But it's that interchange is that relationship you have with your readers. I get these love notes that I might have mentioned that, you know, people thought their Catholic faith was like an heirloom in the attic. And a woman said, you have disturbed me in the best possible way. (laughs) And uh, I have work to do. A millennial mom said, you know, I'm not religious, but I'm deeply spiritual. But I understand that I have a lot more work to articulate my creed. What what is is it I'm passing on to? I said, this is fantastic. This is still ministry. You just lay lay the story down, and God and the graces and the divine energy takes over. Um, one, uh, well, I think I said the priest who was happy that anybody was saying anything good about priests these days with the page one stories, and I tell a lot of good stories. And that's the complicated part where I've always lived, where I feel comfortable in sometimes the mystery, the not 
answering, the not knowing the answers, but the living it. And so, um, I had a reporter this morning said, well, what would you have been if you had not uh, believed? And I was just dumbfounded. I didn't know what to say because I didn't, I said, well, that would be fiction because I don't know that. I just, I would have to imagine not believing, you know, and it doesn't let God off the hook because, you know, why, why do I have this strong faith with all this insanity that has happened and yet others don't have it? And, mm. and that leaves me just struggling and wondering and, you know, questioning. So, you know, that's why I just like the storytelling and not really the judging or no more, no more real preaching or proselytizing, just, just telling these stories. Well, I can't imagine that you ever proselytized, but but um, you just shared who you were and invited people into the questions. And so so you're working with a lot, I would imagine, a, a many, many of the people that that are reading your book and are, are, are benefiting from it are people like that young woman who considers herself spiritual or a nun, as we talked about, n- none of the above. Um, and people who have left, potentially left their tradition of origin that are looking to find ways to come to terms with that it's completely a spiritual path without all of that. And right. that your stories and your willingness to embrace that as well is in great service to that. Right. Thank you. I, um, I um, felt like a dinosaur writing this story going back so long ago. It just seemed like, you know, my, my great nephew Cruz, who uh, did think I had Jurassic Park pets when I was, when I was a kid. But uh, I had a breakthrough on Good Friday after uh, the start of the COVID. I was isolating, coming home from a Mexican writing trip. And I started telling my faith stories to my niece on Good Friday, eating chocolate Easter eggs. And it was all just perfect. And she's, <laughs> She's a little irreverent and she's asking me questions like, what's this Ash Wednesday thing? And what's so important about Friday, Good Friday at three o'clock anyway? And I would say, Claire, your father, the good Catholic family. So we were having this thing and I went for a dog walk and I said, that's the story. That's how I'm going to do this. I'm going to tell the story 2020 to Claire and she's going to interject with her irreverence, with her fun, with her humor, making me my Manhattan, my bourbon Manhattans and all of that stuff that happens. And so we bridge 70 years and we come into Biden and Trump and we come into Black Lives Matter and the pandemic and these polarized worlds and this God bless America heresy that I call it. If you're not truly invoking the divine, but you're wrapping your God around a flag or around a corporate agenda. Uh, I talk about all of that, but it, it, it only happened because of another dog walk that I said, ah, I know how I'm not a dinosaur. I'll make this a 2020 storytelling on Good Friday, uh, eating Easter eggs with my with my niece, Claire. Well, this kind of compassion and this kind of kindness and this kind of curiosity and love for life is timeless. Absolutely timeless. Well, we have come to the end of our show, Father Rick. <laughs> can I, talk, can been, I tell them where, where to get it? Barnes and Noble? Yes, but to, and exactly. Amazon and all the great indie stores, you'll find it. And your website? And my website, yeah. Which is? RickPrashaw.com. Okay. RickPrashaw.com. Yeah. And you can also go to your local 
indie bookstore and ask them to get it for you and get a few extra copies that you can share with other people who are coming into that particular bookstore if they don't have it already. Rick, thank you so much for being on my show. This has just been a delight and an honor. Thank you, Sandra. And to all of you who are listening in, thank you so much for spending this hour with us. And remember, you are always on the edge of the miraculous. Till I see you next time, take good care. This is our last dance. This is our last dance. This is ourselves under pressure. Under pressure. Under pressure. business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. you on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. uninformed about menopause and how it impacts on your life? Hi, I'm Pat Duckworth, women's health strategist and host of the Hot Women Rock radio show, empowering women leaders at menopause. Join me every Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. UK Time on talkradio.nyc for interviews with inspirational women who will share their top tips to rock your world. Post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be frank about health to advocate for all of us. Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower.